I'm Robin Hawkins, and you're listening to Watered Down Women. I hope you've rolled up your sleeves and are ready to get busy, because today we are unearthing our first victim. Watered down women with diluted dreams are home for joy has been washed down the street. A fool's paradise Hoping to be free Found a new home In the cemetery As a retailer of Forgotten Voices, my goal and purpose is to give an insight and identity to those who seem faceless and forgettable. In order to convey factual information about real people and events, I will utilize a creative nonfiction style format. This will allow me the freedom to give accounts of these lives in the compelling and sensational manner in which they were lived, yet remain historically accurate. Let's begin by taking a closer look at the first victim on this gruesome exploration and trace the unfortunate steps that led to her meeting an untimely death one blustery winter's morning on a contemptible piece of ground in Ohio's heartland. To gain a better understanding of her story, we need to begin by looking back in time. The year was 1914, and the world was reeling with excitement. On February 12th of that year, the first stone is laid in construction of the Lincoln Memorial. June 28th, saw the assassination of Archduke Ferdinand of Austria, setting the stage for World War I. In July of 1914, baseball legend Babe Ruth made his major league debut, and two weeks later, Eliza Bell Tackett made her appearance onto the world stage. Eliza, or Lizy as she was known to her family, was born in eastern Appalachian area of Elliott County, Kentucky. At that time, and in that region, poverty was rampant, and most folks in the area lived in complete squalor. Back then, rural communities consisted of big families with big gardens, big struggles, and little to no incomes. These families relied on human power as much as they relied on the strength of their animals. Just as it was common to see a team of mules pulling a plow, it was quite normal to see a young boy swinging an axe, slaughtering hogs, or wringing the neck of a chicken for that night's supper. Little girls worked equally hard as they tended gardens, canned produce for the upcoming winter, or washed the family's clothes by hand. At night, it was typical for several children to sleep together in one bed, and in many instances, to sleep in the same bed as their parents. You see, the life of an early 20th century child was quite unlike the lives led by today's youth. Most homes of these poor mountain folk didn't have the luxury of running water or indoor plumbing, let alone a telephone. As commonplace as it is today to see a first grade boy with his own smartphone it was customary for six-year-old boys at the turn of the 20th century to always carry a sharpened pocket knife. Boys were taught to be boys, and girls, well, suffice it to say, 
were taught to do whatever they were told. Girl's shattered image of a fairy tale life was filled with the agony of bruises and strife, reaching for anything to resemble promise, not knowing the savagery that was a mess. Yesterday's young people often worked with little or no adult supervision, and that might have been because their parents were equally busy or because they simply weren't around. The life expectancy for men in 1914 was about 52 years, and women didn't fare much better with a probability of about 56 years. In the early 1900s, working in the mines was a standard job for a majority of men in the Appalachian states of Kentucky and West Virginia. Be it salt, iron ore, or coal, these men were prisoners to the dark, dangerous, and dirty mines during the day, and often escaped to the freedom of a drunken stupor at night. The wives were saddled with the daily tasks of keeping their crude houses clean, the kids fed, and their men satisfied. And if they failed at any of those duties, they could easily meet the backside of their husband's calloused hand or face the wrath that emerged from his calcified heart. Some survivors of early 20th century hardships claim that their impoverished childhoods made them stronger and believe that those tough life lessons actually made them wiser and better equipped to handle the challenges of this world. Others, however, didn't share that enlightened impression of bygone days. Eliza, most likely, fell into the category of the latter. Being the first daughter born in a family of ultimately 10 children, charged Eliza with taking on much of the responsibility for her younger siblings. Although just a child herself, her day started early and ended late. By the age of nine, she helped care for two sisters and four brothers and assisted her mom in preparing an infant brother for his burial. Eliza quickly learned her place and fit perfectly into the woman's role that was defined by Queen Victoria herself when she declared, let women be what God intended, a helpmate for man, but with totally different duties and vocations. With that being said, she accepted the fact that her life would mirror that of her mother's and foresaw a life of being totally reliant upon a man. By age 14, the time is quickly approaching for her to find a husband and prepare to tend to her own home and family. With this in mind, she probably began eyeing a prospective spouse. Some women are graced with an abundance of suitors and could be quite selective in choosing a life's mate. For Eliza, this didn't appear to be the case. If you had passed her on the street, chances are that you wouldn't have given her a second look. There's nothing too flattering about the sunken-jawed and thin-lipped structure of some Appalachian female faces. There are women who are blessed with a beauty and brilliance that allows them to stand out boldly in a crowd, but Eliza, by most accounts, wasn't one of them. Perhaps it was her plainness 
that attracted him to her in the first place. I'm not saying it's her fault, but if a woman isn't viewed as pretty by society standards, then that harsh reality generally determines her level of self-esteem and self-confidence. You might be thinking, hey, aren't those the same thing? Well, according to psychology today, self-esteem and self-confidence don't always go hand in hand. To be self-confident is to trust in oneself, but to have self-esteem means to value oneself. Sadly, it seems that Eliza was lacking in both. More often than not, the acceptance of our shortcomings can lead us to seek any type of attention, even if it's unhealthy in nature, and this often forms the basis of most toxic relationships. Those who lack uncertainty become prime targets for oppressors. Human beings are curious creatures. One would think that growing up in an impoverished, abusive, or otherwise defective home life would cause an individual to want to escape far away from that type of environment and flee any and all resemblance to its dysfunctionality. A person doesn't just wake up one day and decide they want to be victimized. It's a role they gradually learn to assume. We've all heard the cliches, chip off the old block, or the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. These sayings basically imply that kids tend to adopt the same behaviors of their parents. For example, if a mom smokes, her children will likely become smokers. If a dad abuses drugs or alcohol, his kids will probably experiment with drugs or become addicted themselves. It's not just the physical behaviors they emulate. Kids will often follow in the emotional, maladjusted patterns of their parents. If a child grew up in an emotionally and physically abusive environment, chances are high that she will, in turn, impose that same style of mistreatment toward her own children. When a child becomes accustomed to witnessing behaviors and responses, they soon, for better or worse, learn how they think they are supposed to behave. I'm not insinuating that Eliza suffered abuse at the hands of her parents, but her behavior does suggest that she learned what was acceptable in the eyes of her parents. She probably couldn't recall the moment her life changed from being that of a sweet and innocent child to becoming a cynical and mistrusting young adult. But it is plausible to believe that it happened when a man, twice divorced and looking for his next vulnerable prey, entered into her life. In hindsight, if Eliza could have gotten a do-over, she most certainly would have taken it. When they met, she was just a child of 14, and he was eight years her senior. In those days, the hills and hollers of eastern Kentucky didn't enforce laws and standards for the age of consent and marrying. And in some cases, parents agreed to allowing their minor children to marry because they saw it as having one less mouth to feed. So becoming a bride and stepmother to a small child, all before reaching her 16th birthday, didn't seem so out of the ordinary. 
It's been said that desperate times call for desperate actions, and bad times can cause people to become even worse than their conditions. Was it her new husband's temperament or temper that led to Liza accepting his unsavory habits and allowing his aberrant behavior toward her and her children to go unchecked? What would the future hold for this naive and unsuspecting bride? Weekend in life While searching for love No pain in this world With no help from above Passionate promises Made with each breath Deceptive affection Grab a shovel and join me each Monday as we dig a little deeper and uncover the tragedies of watered-down women.